you never get rid of parts. They don't go away. They're there. You're born with them. They morph, grow, transform, take on burdens, get a little dramatic, whatever. You, you don't exile them. If you try, you're in trouble, right? <laughs> the idea is to help them transform. Hello, welcome to The Seasoned RD, a podcast connecting newer professionals in the field of eating disorders to those of us who have been around for a while. I'm your host, Beth Harrell, a certified eating disorders registered dietitian and supervisor. And I'm Abby Brown, a registered dietitian who is newer to the field. I think of myself as a well-seasoned cast iron skillet with wisdom and experience, yet always ready for something new. And I think of myself as an Instapot with innovation and a fresh perspective. This podcast brings both to the table to share ingredients, recipes, and techniques of past and present so we can all be our best for the future. The kettle is heating up. The skillet is on simmer. So join us around the table for true professional nourishment. Abby, ready to stir the pot? Let's do it. Our guest today on the Seasoned RD is Molly Kellogg, a therapist and dietitian and certified eating disorder specialist. And you may recognize her if you've been following the podcast from episode 15. But today she's going to teach us about internal family systems for eating disorders and what that modality is. And is it something that dietitians can do? Hmm. So we also invited a guest co-host, Kendra Tainus, from episode 6, who was an intern in her dietetics program, but started her college career as a psychology major. And so the combination of psychology and nutrition for eating disorders is so powerful. And we wanted the curiosity from all of us, me and Abby and uh, Kendra, to help uh, help us learn a little more about internal family systems in eating disorders care. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, we are here today with Molly Kellogg, dietitian and therapist and two co-hosts besides myself, Beth. So I'm going to introduce you all know Abby Brown as the co-host. Hi, Abby. Hello. And then Kendra Tanis is episode six, so we're going to reference her, but hi, Kendra. Hi. Dietitian and with a special interest in psychology before she hit the dietitian role. Mm-hmm. All right. And we're here today. I'm going to let you all both start with some icebreaker questions, but we are really going to dig into something, a modality for dietitians that some of you may not know about internal family systems work for eating disorders. And Molly's going to walk us through that. Okay. Hi, Molly. It's so nice to meet you. (laughs) It's nice to see you, Kendra. Yeah. Okay. So my first icebreaker question for you is just a really light one. Pumpkin patch or apple orchard? Oh, apple orchard. <laughs> Pumpkins are okay, too. It's this time of year, isn't it? But I have a family place in New Hampshire that's built in an old apple orchard. And so I have, you know, fond feelings about apple orchards. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'm picturing right now my mom's apple dumplings that she made coming <laughs> fresh out of the oven, bubbling. Oh, mm-hmm. and apples are wonderful. <laughs> this wasn't necessarily one of our questions, but just out of curiosity, apple pie or pumpkin pie? I'd probably say apple pie. It, I happen to have a son who totally loves pumpkin pie. It can't be Thanksgiving without it. But <laughs> I, if I'm to choose one, it would be apple pie. <laughs> I'm with you there. Okay. 
And then getting into all of the IFS goodness, my icebreaker for you is manager or firefighter? Ooh, (laughs) we'll be hearing a little bit more about managers and firefighters. I certainly have both of them, as we all do. I, I think like most people, um, are more proud of my managers, and therefore I'll choose manager. (laughs) I hope that for the most part I lead with my managers in most interactions. However, I've got firefighters in there too. I'm really excited to learn about all of the other parts of this and more about the managers and firefighters. Mm -hmm. Sure. So, yeah, I took a note. I hope I lead with, because these are things that we're going to learn today. But Molly, I don't know if I shared with you years ago, I attended a training with Dr. Richard Swartz, Mm -hmm. who is the founding father of IFS, Internal Mm -hmm. Family Systems, and he shared a video of a girl with a pretty severe eating disorder, pretty resistant to treatment. Mm-hmm. And someone actually who I'm sitting in the audience with psychologists, other therapists and dietitians in my, that were in my city, we traveled to go to this conference. But while we were watching this unfold, this video of this, we had treated her, many of us in, in our city. Uh-huh. It, and, and it was resistant. It just like we, our mouths, our jaws were just dropped because we saw the softness, we saw her be able to get some movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a big fan. I don't understand internal family systems very well. So take it from here. What do you want us as dietitians? And this podcast is really for all professionals in the field of eating disorders. So therapists as well, um, mm-hmm. medical providers, what do you want us to know? Yeah. Wow. That's a big question. And I could just talk for the next two hours. <laughs> I do want to just briefly give you a little background about where I'm at in my career right now, because I think most of you are all aware that I was a dietitian for many years, then became a therapist in the mid-90s. Many of you may not be aware that in the last last year or so, I have completely let go of my nutrition practice. I ended with all my nutrition clients. I no longer say I'm a dietitian. I My credential still holds, but when it comes up, I'm going to let it go, which was, it's sort of hard, still a little hard for me to say that. Yeah. (laughs) And I will because, and it's primarily because of IFS that I, that I did that. I overlapped the two careers for about 25 years. I was doing both. I had nutrition clients in my practice, basically all eating disorders, and I had therapy clients. And since I've discovered IFS, and I'm so pleased with the work I can do with people as a therapist, I decided to let the nutrition part of me retire, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, that's just a little background about sort of where I'm at right now. Yeah. And so what what is IFS? Uh, Beth, that was a wonderful introduction about how powerful it is. And boy, did you get to see it with an individual client. And let me give you an example or or a picture of how I got into it that reminds me of your experience. Mm -hmm. I had a client come to me for nutrition counseling who had just come out of a inpatient program. I had never met with her before. And in that program, she had 
experienced some IFS therapy. And this was someone with a 15-year really restrictive eating disorder. And she right off the bat said to me, I feel like I finally have hope. Boy, did that get my attention. Yeah. Right? I just got chills. Yeah, I know. (laughs) And I mean, she was a classic, highly uh, functional, (laughs) over-functioning person who's struggling with a restrictive eating disorder who finally was feeling like she had some elbow room, some, some teasing apart of what was going on in there. And I worked with her for a little while. I didn't know a thing about all these parts and, and internal family system and all that. And so I'm not sure how helpful I was to her. And yet she compelled me to go and get the training. And I have discovered that she's right. There is hope. <laughs> basically. There are ways in which working with IFS at times can feel a little like magic. And I'm one of those very uh, Western medicine oriented people that doesn't tend to go with magic and shamanism and those kind of things. And yet, boy, have I seen a lot of magic occur. Mm-hmm. You've talked about parts. I mean, parts. Parts, yeah. parts, parts. Right. <laughs> this is yeah. the, the, the gist of it. We all have can, parts. Yeah, I can go into more about that. The, the basic uh, model is the belief that we are not singular people. We are made up of various aspects of us. Dick, uh, Dr. Schwartz calls them parts just because that seems to be the simplest term. And we've all had the experience of thinking, you know, there's a part of me that wants to, you know, do this kind of vacation, but there's another part of me that says, oh, with COVID, maybe I'll just stay home, right? And that kind of back and forth is is very familiar to us. When we apply that to situations or people who experienced significant trauma in their lives and therefore have or exhibit what look like pretty extreme behaviors, those behaviors are driven by parts that have had to take on an extreme role to protect the client or to protect young exiled, as they're called, or very young. I hate to say damaged because parts are never permanently damaged. They can be bruised. They can be harmed. They can be retrieved, though, and they can heal. So that's just a little bit. And one of the ways in which I love how IFS fits with eating disorders is that it's extremely non-pathologizing. We don't say someone's a bulimic. We don't, and frankly, we don't use the DSM. We don't think in terms of, disorders and things like that, we think about, okay, which parts are trying to run the show here, Mm -hmm. right? Someone who's struggling with binging and purging, they have parts that are attempting to take care of them in some way by turning to food in a binge-like manner. And then they also have parts that either reactively purge or yell at them a whole lot afterwards and put them on a diet. Right. Um, everybody's 
constellation, I often think of it, constellation of parts around their eating and body issues are unique to them. And that's what I, I help people do is to sort of tease them apart. In the podcast, you guys can't see my hands, but I'm, I'm, I'm making them as if I'm sort of teasing apart some string that's all tied up together, right? We, when we hear a client or see a client, it, it feels like a big knot <laughs> coming at us, right? And if we take a deep breath and begin to assume that it is possible to tease it apart and begin to do that, the client can get a better perspective and eventually have some some healing. Um, so, I'm going on. <laughs> before we started recording, Kendra said this, and I know I thought the same thing about internal family systems. I my first impression was, oh, okay, it deals with a family, but you're saying that it's the parts that make up our own internal family, our correct? Own internal family, absolutely. Now, Dick Schwartz was a family therapist when he discovered this model, if you will. And so he was very, very much thinking in terms of systems and how systems work together, parts of systems. They strive for harmony and balance. They do better when there's leadership. And they parts can sort of develop over time. And he had that because he was working with families. So that's all true with family members. And so when actually he developed it when he was doing a research study on uh, bulimia and clients would, he got very frustrated with clients who weren't changing. And so he just did a lot of really, really listening, really listening to them. And he heard them say, you know, there's a part of me that really wants to, to binge in those moments. And then it's later than this other part comes out. And so he would just keep listening. And he realized as he listened that these parts related to each other the way family members relate to each other, either with a lot of harmony or <laughs> very contentiously, right? And he also took from family therapy that if you're dealing with a very conflictual family and there's one family member that's just taking over and not letting anybody else talk. You as the therapist ask that person to either sit and not talk for a little while or even leave the room if that's absolutely necessary, right? In order to hear from other people in the family. Well, that's what we do internally. We notice the parts that are screaming and yelling and that the client really leads with. And, and we listen to those. And then we listen with a back, you know, sort of in the back of our mind for the other parts that we know must be in there or that we heard last session or something like that. And we ask the, the parts that are on the surface to give us space to listen to other ones. Does that answer your question, Abby? Yes, makes yeah. clear sense now. And I love that analogy of like our own internal family. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So what comes to mind when you speak about that is sort of in a physical sense, we have like different organs in the body and they all mm -hmm. work together to keep us alive. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering... Do each of these parts, like, does everyone have the same collection of parts? And do does each part have a name? 
and a mm -hmm. role or do people have different parts? How does that work? That's a great question, Kendra. And one of the things I love about IFS is that when we learn it, we learn it from the inside, from our internal system as we get to know it and hearing about the internal systems of all of our clients. And the way I would answer that is that no person's system is identical to somebody else's system because their life is unique, but also I suppose there may be some inherent, because of genetics or something, parts that just people are born with. And then, and then they develop in response to things that happen in people in, in their lives. Now, typically, parts can be categorized. We can quickly notice that there are, I'll start with the parts that we usually don't notice right away, which are the, the exiles, the, 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 the harmed parts, the, the parts that carry shame that remember being yelled at for eating too much, the, you know, those parts, right? It goes on and on, of course, also parts that uh, remember uh, significant abuse, things like that. Then there are the protectors. And the protectors are usually the ones we run into right. first. They're the ones sort of on the surface, the ones we hear about. And they fit into two categories. One are, One the, are the managers. They're very proactive they help the client stay functional in the world, keep the exiles out of sight so they won't feel them. These are parts that, for instance, keep very busy, work very hard, make sure to do everything right. These can be perfectionistic parts, for example, so that I won't get yelled at if I was yelled at, for example. These are proactive parts. Often these parts are also dieting. They are doing things with our bodies to keep them perfect so that we won't get criticized, that kind of thing. Then there are the reactive parts. And these are the ones that pop up when the managers aren't quite enough and the exiles sort of pop out and someone experiences shame, embarrassment, criticism or imagined criticism from someone. And these are the ones that cause a person to do something that feels impulsive or compulsive, like binging, purging, uh, sometimes restricting if the restricting is very sort of reactive, like, oh my God, I got to go on a strict diet right now, right? That's reactive. That would be a uh, what's called a firefighter. It's a fairly dramatic term. And I frankly don't often use it with clients because it's it sounds a little dramatic though some clients do okay with that term mm -hmm. is that is the fire okay the reactive parts the protectors the firefighters a protector too yes they're and both protectors the reactive and proactive they're all protectors yes yeah um, the managers protect in a proactive kind of way, managing kind of way, right? And the firefighters do it in a reactive way. Included in the firefighters are anything that we think of as addictions, mm. addictive behaviors, gambling, what's it called? Uh, retail therapy, you know, mm. <laughs> uh, you know, shopping compulsively, things like that. They're all 
would be firefighters. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you may notice already that managers and firefighters don't tend to get along very well. They tend to be polarized with each other an awful lot. If you think of an example of, of an eating disorder situation, a client maybe initially goes on a pretty moderate, sensible kind of diet. And then there's a, you know, a tough day at work and they go home and eat some ice cream, which is a bit firefighter-like. Maybe it's not like super compulsive, but it, it's sort of like a firefighter. And then the other side says, oh, I've got to be a little more strict about my diet, right? And ramping it up a little bit. And then the firefighter side, on that side, there are often what I call rebels, the oh yeah, don't tell me what to do parts of us, which we are all familiar with. Abby's smiling. She knows about those. <laughs> um, we all have those parts of us. So you can imagine that what managers do can cause firefighters to, you know, jump up in in tough moments, in uh, when sort of our our sense of control is is down, like in the evening, right when we're tired. Right. Mm -hmm. The firefighter will say, F this, you know, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And it can escalate, as you can see. Yeah. You know, as using Kendra's kind of biology example for is homeostasis in our body and keeping body temperature somewhere around 98.6 and keeping blood pressure certain and blood sugars. These managers and firefighters seem to be attempting homeostasis. Exactly. They are trying to balance things out. And Kendra, I will go back to your example of, of the body and the body parts because actually I'll do this for two reasons. One is that if we go back a little, we very quickly are talking about extreme protectors. Okay. With eating disorders, we are talking about some pretty extreme protectors. However, we have loads of lovely parts that take care of us in some ways, right? Just like our liver takes care of us, right? The part of us that knows how to keep track of a calendar and that reminds us to look at it many times a day, right? That's a great manager. Who would not want to have that, right? <laughs> and then, and then even a part that would be a little more reactive, the part of us that goes, it's, seven or eight o'clock at night. I don't have any more clients. You know, there's some stuff I had at work ought to get done, but you know, I just, it would be better if I just rest, watch a stupid TV show and then go to bed and I'll do it in the morning. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a milder sort of reactive part of us that actually has some wisdom about resting. Yeah. So, so our, our, our parts can, are really, they're resourceful. They, they're resources for us. I'll also talk about the body a little bit in a different way, less, a little less physiologically than Kendra did, that IFS is a very somatic type of therapy. We do notice the body. One of the very first questions that we ask when we're trying to sort of tease apart Let's say it's the part that causes the person to head into the kitchen 
toward a binge, right? I'll say, so that part of you that, that makes you stand up and walk into the kitchen, where do you sense it in or around your body, right? And invariably, people can figure out where it is. Occasionally, it's in their head because it's very verbal. But more often, it's an actual somatic experience, a physical feeling like a like a pushing forward or, a, I mean, they're, or they feel in their mouth or something like that. And it, so it's part of how we work that we use someone's sense of their body and what their body can tell them about these parts because the parts reside in, in our body. That's so interesting. That reminds me of, I'm, just completing my intuitive eating counselor certification. Awesome. And Evelyn Triboli in one of her lectures mentions how different emotions are felt in different parts of the body. And sometimes if someone can't identify what emotion they're feeling, you can help them to figure out where in the body that emotion is felt mm-hmm. and kind of hash it out backwards. Mm-hmm. Sounds very yeah. Yeah, and um, and and that can be very helpful. One of the things that we tend to do in IFS is that we, uh, I mean, I'm I'm thinking of an example of if you feel in your jaw, that's probably anger, right, <laughs> or something like that, or in your throat, it's either anger or it's a it's a shutting down of voice, for example. On the other hand, in IFS, I've learned to not make those assumptions because. I've been surprised sometimes. And the part itself knows what it's doing, what its intention is, what its role is in the system. It knows. And the more we try to go, oh, I know what that is. I bet it's because the more we can sort of ask that part of us that wants to analyze and figure things out to sort of step back, the more we're going to get honest answers from the client's part whichever part it is. And boy, can you get surprised sometimes. And the client can be surprised too at how that part is protecting them, for example, how it sees the world and how it sees its role. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's the powerful piece of, of the client knows the best. It's, mm-hmm. or countertransference. If I say, oh, I bet this is your mouth hunger, which is a term that I use. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you mentioned feeling that somatically in your, maybe the mouth once gets you up to go get something. Sometimes it's physical hunger. Sometimes it's, it's emotional, whatever, but, Mm -hmm. but that whole piece of like bringing it back around to curiosity Mm -hmm. within that person to ask Mm -hmm. their part. Right. When they don't even really have words for it, but you're asking them, you're guiding them to listen in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, ideally, most IFS work is done in what's called an insight manner, which is where we guide the client to get in touch with and listen to the part. And we sort of coach them. Now, ask the part how it sees its role in your system. Ask the part what its fear is of what would happen if it stopped doing this for you or if it stopped saying this to you or whatever. And that's that's the ideal way to do it. And when that happens, 
what Dick discovered is that if indeed the client is getting to know their binging part, for example, who's getting to know it, right? What part of the client is getting to know it? And he would start to ask, so what part is that? And the person would say, well, that isn't a part. That, that's, that, that's me. And so that's one of the somewhat unique aspects of IFS is that there's this belief that there is a, a self with a capital S, a, a core self, a, a, an essence in there that is the actual client, is the, the person. And ideally, then, that is the part, even though it really isn't a part, that gets to know and helps tease apart all the other parts. Now, frankly, an awful lot of clients, particularly people with eating disorders, if you tell them they have a self, they're going to say, no, no, I don't. No. Either it was destroyed years ago or, no, you're wrong. I'm different. I'm so damaged. I don't have that essence in there. I know full well they do. <laughs> and and that when the parts separate enough, the self's in there. It it will emerge. I think I got off on a tangent. Oh no, you didn't. I mean I'm I've got three questions already for you. <laughs> but I'm as I'm listening, so I want to learn more about the self with capital S. I also th- this feels like therapy. Can dietitians do this work? That's a really good question. And here's where I'll mention Diana Dugan-Richards, who is a dietitian in Boston. She discovered IFS even before I did, and she's been doing it longer than I have, and she has been she has helped staff a lot of IFS trainings as I have too, but she's done even more. She's a dietitian. She does a lot of this work in her practice. So she and I both agree that it is possible and even a good idea for dietitians to be trained in IFS so that we can recognize parts when they come up, help the client unblend, as it's called, from the parts, get to know them a little bit. The deeper work, which is when the client with the help of the therapist, goes to the exiles and helps them heal, that would be for the work, that would be for therapy. And yet an awful lot of the IFS work is initially with the protectors, getting to know them, having the client go, oh, that's a part of me that keeps giving me a hard time. That's a part of me that hyper-focuses on my body to distract me from other things. Right. It's a part of, you know, so the dietitian can really help with that. Absolutely. Is that a certification that a a dietitian could get or it's just the training? There is official IFS training to be a certified practitioner, which is what Diana is. I'm a certified uh, IFS therapist because I'm already a therapist. That's a lot of training. I certainly would recommend any dietitian who wants to do it to do that. It's a lot. And frankly, it's so popular, it's almost impossible to get into the training right now. That's through the IFS Institute. There's a year-long training, and then there's experience and supervision and all that. 
Diana and I actually have a one-day training that we do. We we pair it with a initial three-hour recorded course that has most of the didactic stuff in it, and then the day-long is more experiential. And that would certainly get a dietitian started. One of the best ways, though, to learn and jump in with it is to work in conjunction with a therapist who uses IFS and is using IFS with your client. Because the client will have, the, the pump will be primed a little bit. And the client will come into you and say, you know, when I was writing down my food records, I realized there's this part of me that hates doing that, right? So you're off and running and you could help them, you know, elucidate what their parts are and get to know that part, for example. Mm. Is that, is that answering your question, Abby? And, yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I, I was fortunate enough before COVID to attend one of these trainings and the experiences and the practice was just very eye opening on how we can use these, these parts and learn about our own parts to help our clients identify theirs. And if you are lucky enough to have a therapist who's IFS trained, to share a client with that is absolutely because then you have the same language that you can share across, you know, this is their identified protector part and, and, and they, our clients can create their own names with the guidance, right? Mm -hmm. It's not. Absolutely. Of that part. I I actually have some clients who, a few who actually give their parts actual names. Yeah. It's a little unusual, but you know, that's cool. <laughs> Usually they'll, they'll, you know, they'll start with it being, well, the part that binges, right? And then it may morph a little bit. Mm-hmm. It may be, they'll start calling it something slightly different. Like part of me that really wants me to feel better or wants to soothe me by going to food, you know, or they'll come up with their own a name. Language. Yeah. yeah name Which way. brings me to, I think I asked you this, Molly, I'm not sure, but um, people want to try to compare sort of life without ed or calling that Mm -hmm. as a part. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that is. It's well, it's a little different. Um, uh, Jenny Schaefer and Tom Rutledge's work, I think is really was transformational when they first came out with that. Because it, it did cause a lot of us to look more in terms of it's a part of the person or it's not, it's not all of them. You know, I think the, one of the big differences though, in that perspective and IFS is that the understanding that every part has a positive intention for the client, every one, even when they're doing pretty dramatic things. And that's even suicidal parts. Suicidal parts are the ones who have the most extreme solution to deeply uncomfortable feelings, right? Nobody wants that part to actually finally act out. (laughs) And yet that is a part that wants to help the person escape. And usually there are other ways of escaping addictions, for example, eating disorders that sort of happen first or in a more mild kind of way. Anyway, that's about suicidality. But the other thing that that Dix discovered about parts, and I have too, is that you never get rid of parts. They don't go away. They're there. You're born with them. They morph, grow, transform, take on burdens, get a little dramatic, whatever. 
they never, you, you don't exile them. If you try, you're in trouble, right? <laughs> the idea is to help them transform. And every part, even suicidal parts, parts that severely restrict, parts that, uh, you know, hate the client's body and want to cut off parts of it, you know, things like that, they can be understood and their intention can be understood and the exiles they're protecting can be healed and they'll be transformed. And that's the, that's the magic part of IFS, that there can be transformation. So the divorcing Ed thing doesn't fit in IFS. It tends to just come back again somehow. <laughs> so I'm wondering, you mentioned early on that a lot of IFS is listening. Uh-huh. And it immediately kind of brought me back to motivational interviewing. Uh-huh. Is that kind of how you help someone transform those parts just by a lot of listening and motivational interviewing? Or how do, how do you proceed? Well, the transformation of the protectors, the, the protectors are the ones that do the eating disorder behaviors, right? So they, and they will transform all by themselves when they see that the exile they've been protecting doesn't need that anymore. So the transformation happens with the exile. And I mean, to give a, a tiny little example, if you, if there's a part of a client that believes she is deeply unworthy, unworthy of love, for example, which is not terribly unusual. That's going to keep um, fueling some of these other firefighter behaviors and, and manager behaviors. When the therapist helps the client self get in touch with that part, we call it witnessing the, we help the client actually see, almost everyone can see their exiles in some way, even if it's a, just a black hole or a, you know, something vague. Sometimes it's a six-year-old version of them, you know. They see their part, they're with it. They're sitting with it, they're listening to it, they're witnessing what it was like back then. So that's a listening, a deep listening, getting it. Oh, that's what it was like. And one of the things I find so moving about this is a client can know perfectly well what happened that one back then. My dad yelled at me about being fat, right? I know that that happened and it was awful. When all the other stuff settles back and the client just hangs out with that six, seven, eight-year-old version of them and listens and goes, wow, I get it. That was, that was really awful. And so there's a bit of witnessing and it can take a while. It can take five minutes. It can take half an hour. It can take several sessions. So that's more than just listening, Kendra. It's a little more than that, right? And then sometimes we do a, a redo where the, the client realizes that part needs someone to come in and, and yell at that dad or, or tell that dad that that was unacceptable. And, and then the client invites that exile to come into the present, come out of that time and place, not be stuck there anymore. And then to let go of the burdens or beliefs that were taken on back then. And um, it's, it's an amazing experience to watch. 
And that's the powerful, I'm sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead. Oh, (laughs) that's the part that in this video that we were watching the, the patient had gone back and actually allowed her younger part. It was identified the age, Mm -hmm. the feeling, the sentiment, and and Mm -hmm. she actually let that part crawl into her lap and she was holding Mm -hmm. it and was sobbing. And that was the first time I think that she actually really got it. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. To witness that was amazing. Like they can, those parts can be understood. I circled that. Right. They can be understood and really gotten and get what they didn't get back then. And the most powerful person to do that, to get it is the client self because that client self is full of compassion, curiosity, acceptance, openness. I mean, it's endless. Capital S. Yeah. Capital S self. So the exile is like the root, the root of everything that we really need to get to. Yeah. Yeah. And an exile, it's a weird term and I often don't use it with clients unless, well, about half my clients are therapists and they'll They'll use the term, but <laughs> young parts, tender parts, whatever. The cool thing is that when they are unburdened and brought, retrieved into the present, they they then take on or take back the characteristics they had when they were much younger, which tends to be playfulness, creativity, openness to new things. These are wonderful parts. They've been stuck, though. They've been exiled back there. I, I personally, when I've, in my work, when I've, a part has been unburdened, it always feels like, ah, so light <laughs> and so airy and so much room in there now, you know, yeah. which is yeah. a good feeling. Mm-hmm. Because that word exile, it is, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't even know what the definition of it, but it, it brings up a negative feeling for me. And mm-hmm. um, when you describe it more as a tender part or a young part, Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess I'm still trying to understand a little bit more about what, why it was termed exile. Well, because other parts exiled it. It's like, it's, it's like, to use a weird analogy, if you have a children whose parents are absent and the older children are having to take care of the younger children and the younger children are acting up, they may lock them in the basement just to you know, keep things functioning, which is an awful way. But but protectors are often like parentified children. They're they're really actually sort of young. (laughs) Some of them are anyway. Yeah. And they and they they can't handle these parts that hold these strong feelings and memories and they just shove them away. They they figure out ways to hide them. So has this gotten too heavy now? <laughs> it's a, it's at, at right around the time that we would be normally starting to wrap up. I mean, in my brain is like I, I the uh, the other question that was unanswered or sort of gotten to a little bit was learning how to develop the self, how to identify the self, how that person, and that could be like trainings and and individual practice. Yeah. And actually, I mean, if any 
anybody listening um, is considering getting get back into therapy or getting therapy, you could look for an IFS therapist. Experiencing right. it yourself, no matter yeah. what your issues are, right. would be a useful learning experience for you. Yeah. Did that answer this that? This makes question? just so, yeah, this all makes so much sense. I'm like thinking of, oh, I could totally use this with this patient. Or like even myself, I'm thinking about, oh, that little part of me there. Yeah, um, Molly's examples for eating disorders were really helpful to me. Yes. And I'll probably be listening to this episode more than once. And then. Yeah. And, and Abby, that's where you start, at least in your head, thinking when a client's talking, oh, that's a part of them <laughs> that's yeah. holding that, those beliefs or saying that to the, them. And then you can begin to reflect it back in parts language. So what I'm hearing is there's a part of you that criticizes you when you, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have been using healthy self and eating disorder self, which I think can still hold a place, but I like this idea of the parts. Right. And that assumes that there's a critical or a, a valence, a good, bad, right? And one of the actually the healthy, recent I'm book, saying that yeah, in quotes. Yeah. The, the Dick's most recent book is called No Bad Parts. So if you take that radical approach that there are no bad parts and that all parts have positive intentions, there really isn't a healthy in it. Now, there may be parts that brought someone into therapy or to uh, you know, recovery. There are parts that want recovery. There are parts that still want to restrict because life is scary or they feel ashamed about, you know, but if you say it that way, as opposed to healthy eating disorder, it, there's, again, there's more elbow room. There's more ability to tease things out. Mm -hmm. Makes so much sense. And so you offer or at the end of October, correct? You have... Yes, the last Friday in October is our next full day training. And incorporated with it is a three-hour recorded course that you do beforehand. So people ought to register, you know, maybe at least a week early. And though people could just purchase that course in and of itself separately, if they're interested and want to know a little more, and that's something they can listen to over and over again. And there's some handouts with it as well. Um, and how would people register? We can put this in the show notes as well, but is there a specific website they should be going to? They can go to either my site, mollykellogg.com or Diana Dugan Richards site, which you can Google easily, or her site is namastenutrition.com. You can register through either one of us. And can students and interns register for this? Certainly could. Mm -hmm. As a general rule, I sort of suggest, particularly if someone is a student or an intern and wanting to do this kind of work, that they get their feet a bit wetter first <laughs> with working with eating disorders, for example, maybe at least a year or something before doing something like this. But it, hey, it wouldn't hurt. Yeah, I think it helps prune our neuro neuropathways to start <laughs> thinking that way in our training and in our work with the, the our clients. Because Kendra, you finished your clinical rotation and you're moving more into community, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you're able to use your intuitive eating training 
in, in all areas of your dietetics practice. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I, I just kind of see it as a tiny little seed to plant because I, like I've been in the field for a long time. I took the training a couple of years ago. I got into some of my own individual therapy with an IFS trained um, therapist. And so it, it's still very, very intriguing to me. And I, I know very little. <laughs> <laughs> so starting somewhere as an intern. Yeah, or, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'll remind you that, Dick figured out this model from the inside, from mm. just learning from clients. And yeah. we can all do that too. In a Absolutely. Sense. Yeah. And Dr. Schwartz has a book on this, correct? He has many books. Internal Family Systems, there's a basic textbook, the second edition, or second, yeah, second edition, I believe. Also, Diana and Jean Cantancero, who is well known as a trainer in eating disorders in IFS, are, come, are working on a book as well on specifically on eating and body issues and IFS. Awesome. Molly, thank you (laughs) so much. Kendra, thank you for joining us as a co-host. Absolutely. Yeah. This was great to have you both. I'm a big IFS fan now. I'm going to seek some training in that for sure. So thank you, Molly, for your time. You're just so incredible. Sure. Well, this has been fun and thank you very much, guys. Let's lean on each other and learn from each other so we can grow together as professionals in this field of eating disorders. If you want to connect with me for supervision or membership with monthly content, please find me at bethharrell.com slash professionals.